Success is about more than just business strategies. It's also about aligning with your higher purpose and clearing inner obstacles that stand in the way. I say this because you deserve to do what you love and to feel fulfilled along the way. And the reality is you're likely spending more time than you'd like to stuck in self-doubt. You may be asking yourself things like, why do I never seem to reach my biggest goals no matter how hard I work? Or why do I never quite feel like I've done enough, have enough, or am enough? If any of these sound familiar, you are not alone. And I've been there too. The good news is that the solution is simpler than you think. I'm sharing it inside my new four-day women's immersion, The Inner Critic Cure. This live four-day event includes daily classes, potent practices, and a brilliant, supportive community of like-minded women. And best of all, it's only $37. This method is gentle yet powerful, and it actually works even when others haven't because it's based on a proven psychotherapeutic framework called Internal Family Systems, or IFS. By the time you leave, you'll have the knowledge and tools to not only heal your relationship with those harsh inner voices, but to turn them into your strongest allies, now and for the rest of your life. So join us to discover how to put an end to those negative voices that have held you back from your biggest dreams and desires, so you can live into the full potential you know is possible for you in both your business and in your life. You can learn more and join us inside the Inner Critic Cure at programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. That's programs-saravonstover.com forward slash immersion. I'd love to see you there. The greatest gift Ayurveda has given me is the gift of awareness without judgment. So if you can just tune in and ask yourself that a few times a day, the answers will start to come from there. Welcome to Herself, an internal family systems and women's spirituality podcast, and a space for you to come home to your innate wholeness and wisdom. You're in the right place if you're devoted to showing up for not only your outer, but also your inner life with courage and compassion. And if you feel inspired to do that in the good company of other women who are also committed to cultivating greater and greater levels of inner peace and outer fulfillment. I'm your host, Sarah Avon Stover, the author of three books, a certified internal family systems practitioner, and a pioneering teacher of women's spirituality for the past 24 years and counting. Here, we explore all different facets of a woman's spiritual and healing journey both the pretty and the not so pretty parts. And we do this through wisdom talks, practical guidance for navigating the ups and downs of our paths with more grace and gusto, and conversations with other inspiring wayfinders. Above all, if you're here, you know that your continued deepening also serves the healing of our world. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. We've just passed over the equinox and we're into the first week of a new season. It's during these junctures that I lean into my Ayurvedic self-care practices more heavily because they help me to adjust to the big inner and outer shifts that happen during these times. 
And a reminder for all of us that self-care isn't a luxury or an afterthought. Instead, it needs to be an important part of your ongoing business strategy. As I often remind the women that I work with, the most important asset in your business is you. So we want to be constantly looking at how are we taking care of ourselves. And last spring, as I implemented this concept in my own life, I participated in an Ayurvedic cleanse where I was introduced to today's guest. And even though I've been a student of Ayurveda for nearly 25 years now, I really appreciated the fresh, modern, and accessible approach that she brings to her work and how she applies it to women in particular. And in fact, I enjoyed her so much that I wanted you to meet her too. But before I do that, I wanted to let you know that along with this new season, my team and I are working here behind the scenes to prepare some offerings for you that are in alignment with the new direction that I mentioned at the start of last month, where I am shifting my focus to support spiritual entrepreneurial women. And coming later this month, we'll be opening the doors to my program, Becoming Whole. And this time it's revamped to support entrepreneurial women with the inner work of success, because we've often heard the saying that success is 80% mindset, 20% strategy. So we're really looking at the mindset here, the things that often stand in our way, or we could say the ways that we get in our own way. And if you're wanting support with this, and you are ready to embody more of your full potential in business and in life, I invite you to get on the waitlist to be the first to know when doors open to this up-leveled version of Becoming Whole. You can get on the waitlist at programs-saravonstover.com forward slash becoming whole. That's programs-saravonstover.com forward slash becoming whole. And you can also find the link to this in the show notes. Now some words about today's guest. Claire Ragazzino is a certified Ayurvedic practitioner and yoga instructor with a background in holistic nutrition and natural cooking. Her work is dedicated to bringing yoga, Ayurveda, and nutrition to a modern lifestyle. She holds a BA in international affairs, concentrating her initial work on sustainable agriculture development and nutrition. In 2009, she completed her first 200-hour yoga teacher training in Ashtanga Vinyasa Yoga, which led her down a different path, moving from a life and policy toward a professional path of empowering individual well-being. Over the last decade, Claire has deepened her work with additional studies and certifications in Ayurveda, functional yoga therapy, yoga nidra, non-dual tantra, and women's health. She also writes and photographs for online and print publications surrounding topics of food, culture, and our relationship to nature. Her first book, Living Ayurveda, which is a gorgeous book, we talk more about it today, offers a comprehensive Ayurvedic cookbook and lifestyle guide. She currently works with clients around the globe and leads immersive workshops and retreats. You can learn more about Claire at vidyaliving.com. That's V-I-D-Y-A living.com. Enjoy my conversation today with Claire. Okay, welcome, Claire. Good to have you. Hello. It's good to be here. And we always start our conversations here with a check-in. So I invite you to share with us where you're joining us from today, as well as how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind. It's mm, a great question. Well, I'm tuning in from Kauai, 
It is a breezy, cool day. It's been raining a little bit. The trade winds are blowing, which means my pitta, <laughs> the heat in me is very happy. So I'm feeling um, typically this time of year, this intensity and sharpness in my mind starts to ramp up and I feel often a little agitated with the weather this time of year. But today I'm feeling um, a little softer and gentler in my body and my mind. And I'm also noticing just a little bit of bubbly excitement in getting to have this conversation today. And having picked up your book recently, The Way of the Happy Woman, I really resonated with all that you shared and realized we have a lot of overlap. So I've been looking forward to this conversation and, and getting to know you in this process. Yeah, well, thanks for picking up my my book. And we do have a lot of overlap because I have your book too. And as I was reading it, I'm like, wow, this is um, a lot of similarities. Differences too, you know, they're, they're kind of, they have different energies. And for our listeners, I really recommend Claire's book. It's very beautiful. It's like a like a beautiful coffee table book or, you know, the book that you want to have on display and mm. it's great, great pictures and hardcover. It's just, it's really gorgeous. Before we go into that, I want to acknowledge um, your check-in and just to say that Kauai is one of my favorite places mm. in the world, such a special place. And I just, out of my own curiosity, how, how long have you been there and like what, what led you there? On and off for seven years now, um, I initially came out here to help a women's gathering and work with one of the founders of a large women's gathering and, um, and fell in love with it out here and ended up returning and have been kind of weaving different layers of home here since then. I, I met my fiance out here and he does conservation work and, and um, biocultural landscape architecture and design. So we have returned in this past year and are kind of settling back in on the North Shore and feel really grateful to be here and to be more connected with the rhythms of nature here than as in times I've lived in cities and urban areas. Yeah, I could see how that would be more available for you there. Yeah, waking up early <laughs> is definitely one of my favorite benefits. Yes. It happens to fall so naturally here. Right. So I know we're going to, we're going to talk a lot more about um, these natural rhythms, but for listeners, I just want to share context that I learned about you through a woman here in Boulder, Jeannie Manchester, whom I've known for many years through the yoga community. And I did a Ayurvedic cleanse with her this spring. And you were one of the guest teachers that came in and spoke and, and she, she also recommended your book and I'd been very involved in Ayurveda, especially in my twenties, and was was I did I did some I did some shorter trainings, and I was considering, you know, doing more advanced trainings and making that making that like the central piece of my work. But then I just got drawn in other directions, and being introduced to you was kind of like a homecoming. It was like I was like meeting meeting a past self and reintegrating her with my present self. So. With Ayurveda, how how did you first how did you first get that calling to to make it a part of your life and then make it a part of your livelihood? You know, it was 
A bit of a natural pull. At a very young age, I struggled with a lot of health problems, particularly a lot of digestive issues growing up. And I saw doctor after doctor and after upper GI and lower GI at a, you know, early teens, doctors said, you're fine. And I, I knew, no, I'm, I'm not fine. I don't feel well. And so I turned to food first. And then from there, it led me into Ayurveda. My mom had also been in a near fatal car accident when I was seven and had found yoga at the time. And so she found one of the few teachers that existed in Arizona where we were living. And um, she would drag me along to classes and kind of started to be infused in that yogic lifestyle through her. And through my own journey came to yoga and Ashtanga yoga and ended up in India after college and um, started really exploring Ayurveda as knowledge, I would say, to begin with, and book knowledge, you know, concepts and tools and things that I should be doing, but I didn't really understand. And it wasn't until I started actually practicing what I was reading that I start to recognize, oh, this is really transformative, powerful knowledge that you can embody in simple everyday ways. And so from there, it just drew me in. And that curiosity, I just I kept learning and exploring more. And, and as a pathway, it led me into my professional work. And I know that I know that the majority of listeners will know what Ayurveda is, but for those who don't, how how would you how would you describe it? Um, I am just going to switch over. I'm noticing I'm having a little tech issue here. I apologize. Sure. Trying to fix my headphones here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, so Ayurveda, I really see it as a language for understanding your body's relationship, your mind's relationship, this greater sense of self in relationship to nature. So it's this framework to really get to know yourself deeply. A lot of times it can look like lists of foods you shouldn't and shouldn't eat or, you know, rigid structures that you need to live your life by. But for me, I found a much more freeing relationship with it when I saw it as this dynamic language to inquire about how am I feeling today? What's happening around me? What do I need? And how can I tune in with myself in those layers? Versus I took this online quiz and it says that I shouldn't, shouldn't eat this. And I can only do this at this certain time. And I I think when you're not feeling well, which was my experience pretty much from birth until my early 20s, I didn't feel well. I struggled with chronic digestive problems, um, reproductive menstrual pain and challenges around cycles, hormonal fluctuations, all kinds of things where I just didn't feel good in my body. And when you don't feel good, it sometimes can turn into this very controlled we try to create this controlled environment around it and so food for me was a lot of controlled experiences i'm going to do this cleanse and i'm going to control everything in this way and i'm going to do this diet where i don't eat grains or i'm going to do this diet where i don't eat fats where i only eat proteins in this way and it always felt like i was missing something and when i went into really understanding ayurveda as a more comprehensive framework beyond just food, but to really understand how to 
apply the principles of the elements, you know, air, space, fire, water, earth, and their qualities to the experience I was having. It moved away from this kind of, I can't do this, I can only do that into everything is an experience, what experience do I want to have? And so it gave me this language to look at the different functions that the elements and these groupings of elements we call the doshas have and how you can have a um, excess of movement and what that might create in the body and the mind, how you can have an excess of heat and something I'm very familiar with here in the islands and what experience that might be of body and mind or too much stagnation and how to work with that in a more dynamic way. So Ayurveda wasn't a list of rules I needed to live by, but really this flexible framework that I could see how to care for myself more proactively instead of reactively. Remember one of the definitions that I heard for Ayurveda is the art of living. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm hearing that in, in some of what you're saying, like there's a creativity to it and and feeling, yeah, what, what is the, what is the, what is the most artful way for me to live in relationship with my body, with the environment that I'm in, with the elements, with my food? Absolutely. I think Dr. Lott always calls it the art of living. And if Dr. Lott is a uh, Ayurvedic physician here from India, but had opened a school in New Mexico. And whenever I spent time studying with him, the way that he would describe things was almost poetic. And there is, you know, when you think of art, you think of intention and doing something with great presence. And I think what I've taken away from Ayurveda as a whole is how to live with great presence and awareness with everything that I do. And not to, you know, when I don't feel well, not to judge it or try to control it with a specific rigid diet or herbal protocol, but to really look at, oh, this is present. You know, I just started dipping my toes into IFS. So I was very curious and excited to get to know you and to discover more through your podcast. And I think of the doshas, which if anyone has started to study Ayurveda, the doshas usually take the lead in the highlight of what Ayurveda is. And the doshas we can look at as three functional energies. One, vata is a grouping of elements, air and space, and it governs movement. It's the firing of the synapses and the nervous system. It initiates, you know, the beating of the heart, the air moving in and out of the body. It's all movement. And when there's a lot of movement in our lives, sometimes we can feel unstable. We can feel ungrounded. We can experience anxiety. And as someone who moved many times as a child, I, anxiety was often a present part of my experience and digestive issues such as chronic constipation and dryness and burping and gas and bloating air, right? All of this vata was elevated. And when I used to really struggle with this and feel like no amount of, you know, food or herbs or cleanses was really working, I could kind of take a step back and look at vata as kind of a part of myself and it has a role. And so instead of looking at the doshas as being something that's always going wrong or out of balance, even though the very nature of dosha is to be unstable, 
I think looking at the doshas more as this is a part. And when there's a lot of, you know, movement triggered in my life, oh, this is what I can do to kind of meet the needs and bring in greater stability, bring in routine and structure, bring in warm and oily foods, bring in, you know, a loving oil massage and things like this that help to nourish the need of that doshic expression, high vata, to kind of pacify and come back to this center of the satvic self. Yeah, there's also a saying in IFS that's coming to mind as you're talking, and I, it's said in other places too, but it's just one of the core mottos in IFS, that what's in the way is the way. Mm. And so I'm hearing you say, because I, I have I have a lot of vata. As I've gotten older, I, also, I have more kapha. Now I'm like more equal with vata and kapha, but it also depends on the climate that I'm in. So Boulder, I can definitely have more, more vata, but if I'm in a place like Hawaii, more kapha um but anyway so talking about if there's a lot of vata present rather than rather than just seeing that as an obstacle like this is wrong i'm having all these issues because of it it's like i'm hearing you just turning towards it and and just meeting it and like seeing it as a doorway like as a Mm -hmm. doorway to come back into balance or to to nurture yourself in certain ways yeah, you know, the, the dedication of my book is to the curious explorer within us all. And I think when we take that attitude of curiosity, it softens the, you know, proactive and reactive parts of us that are trying to manage the experience so we can prevent the suffering or that we can um, avoid, I'm thinking of the, the yoga sutra, <laughs> avoiding the pain that has not yet arisen. And in some ways, it's really about just being present with what is in front of you and, and looking at it from a non-judgmental space. Oh, I just did a lot of travel. I was eating in the airports all the time. Oh, I'm constipated. Okay, well, what can I do about it? Cool. I have this tool set in front of me that Ayurveda gives you to identify what's present. And there are these words, these qualities known as the gunas these 10 pairs of opposites that are very fundamental and they're very easy to grasp onto. If there's heat, how can you cool yourself down? If there's dryness, how can you bring in oiliness and lubrication? If there's mobility, how can you bring in stability? And so a lot of times I come back to this very simple framework because it helps to kind of tether into reality of what's present versus always being in a a guessing game of, what do I need? What should I eat today? How should I care for myself? And it makes, um, it's given me a lot more stability in my life. And when things do go wrong, or I am constipated or bloated, or whatever experience is expressing itself sticky and heavy in springtime, you know, all the different doshic expressions, uh, it's not an, it's not a panic. It's just a, Oh, I can identify what's going on and I have a toolkit of what's needed and I can take action from there. So can you share some examples of like what you do in any, in any given day to help you come into balance? So I'm hearing you have a lot of Pitta. Is that, is are you Pitta Vata or what's, what, 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 what would you say is your main dosha? Yeah. So we tend to look at you know, for anyone listening new to Ayurveda, we look at an individual's constitution known as your prakriti. 
and that prakriti can be um, a combination of all three of vata pitta and kapha because all the elements live within our body we all have doshas each with a different function and role within the body and the mind um, but this unique kind of soup that makes us forms usually a dominant dosha can be a combination of one two or all three and for me my constitution is pitta vata and I would say um, with a little kapha right behind it. And so depending on the time of year and depending on what's happening, and of course being here in the tropics where it's hot, um, I'm definitely navigating a lot more heat. And now it being peak summertime, um, my diet and lifestyle is definitely adapting to my environment and the time of year. And I think that's what's so great about Ayurvedic medicine is it gives you a framework for how to live in alignment with daily routines and then also how to pay attention to the seasons so as the sun shifts and moves across the hemisphere we have longer days hotter days as we are now around our summer solstice time and we have shorter days and cooler times around winter and so what ayurveda really looks at is our relationship to time because it's time that is you know, going to affect us the most as we age from childhood to death and as we move through these changes of our environment through the year. So when we're living in wrong relationship to time, which I, I think is more challenging than ever in a modern world, everything is, you know, climate-controlled, homes and lights on 24 7 if we want to have electricity going all the time we can trick our bodies into always being on and create whatever kind of climate and season we want within our own controlled spaces but we can't fight time and so to live in right relationship with time is to know how to be in rhythm with what's happening around you. And so Dean Acharya is the word for a daily routine. And my own daily routine um, really takes into account what I wake up, what I'm feeling, what I'm noticing. I also here in a heavier climate, I know in Boulder, it's dry and at altitude. And um, what I did there was a little different than what I do here. So I do things that kind of get me moving and by waking with the sun, um, I'm able to get ahead of some of that kapha. Each time of day is designated by a different dosha. And the morning hours is when we can wake up feeling kind of heavy and sticky and slow. And especially here in an environment that's a little heavy and damp and slow, island time, I kind of try to use the morning to get ahead of that. So my daily routines involve waking up and cleansing the sense organs, scraping the tongue, brushing my teeth, you know, clearing the gateway to the internal body before I eat. Um, usually I'll multitask and get my kettle going and light the candles in my kitchen altar and on my altar and just take a moment to start a new day and connect in with what's present. So asking myself, what am I feeling today and what do I need? It's a real core foundation of my practice. And I'll notice if I'm feeling lots of heat, 
you know, this time of year, I'm avoiding foods that are very heating, things like garlic and onions and um, lots of, you know, peppers and uh, black teas and things like that, that just ramp up my internal heat. And so as I'm doing my meal prep in the morning for the day, I'm selecting foods that I know will be a little bit more cooling and grounding for me. And so my day gets pretty busy. I see clients, I have worldly responsibilities, and I don't become overly attached to needing everything to be scheduled out to a T, but really looking at these anchor points. So midday, I'll have a meal and schedule that into my work calendar and take a little walk. Or if I'm really fatigued, I'll do yoga nidra or some kind of guided meditation in the afternoon. In the evenings, I'll try to have dinner before the sun sets and do um, a little wind down before going to bed and trying to stay within those windows of optimal times for eating, optimal times for moving, and optimal times for rest, which is what Ayurveda outlines in the Dinacharya. And as we move here, I mean, the seasons aren't very pronounced where I live right now, but there is a subtle shift. You know, it's very windy. It starts to dry out or the rains increase. And so I'm just kind of noticing what's needed and adapting as we move into fall and winter, I might bring in more oils into my diet and more soups and stews and cooked foods that are more grounding and a little heavier in their qualities. And that ratha, ritucharya, is the seasonal routine. So as we pay attention to how the year progresses and moves, I'm paying attention to those doshas that are dominant through the times of year and working with that. That was a long-winded answer. <laughs> Bye. Great. Yes. And I want to name that point. in your book, you have a lot of really, really wonderful recipes. So for anyone mm. listening, just wanting to think of like, what, what are some good things to make in the different, each season, Claire's, Claire's book has some really, really good recipes to check out for inspiration around that. Thank you. So this Dina Charya, that's also been a big part of my life. And I know I know that I've added things over the years. Like I didn't start with everything at once. So if someone is listening and is like, this feels a little bit overwhelming. I don't have that much time. Yeah. Where would you say to start? Like if you were just to incorporate like one, two or three things in your day, what, what, what are some of the key pieces that you would recommend a woman add? Hmm. I would say when you wake up in the morning, instead of reaching for your phone or jumping out of bed to get everything going for the kids or whatever responsibilities that you have, just taking five deep breaths and listening. How do I feel today? What am I noticing? You know, and the gunas, which I have a chart for in the book, and most Ayurvedic books will have a, a list of these 20 qualities, are a really great place to just start to be curious and observe. You know, are you going to the bathroom every day? Are you drinking water every day? How much water? How is your sleep? How do you feel when you eat food? What kinds of foods are you eating? I think just creating a relationship of paying attention because it's so easy to extend out. And oftentimes, typically like September, October is when I start to feel pretty burnt out because I've just been outward and I'm not tuning in enough. And I think through cycles of burnout, 
I've come back to this foundational practice of just listening. And sometimes when you create that space of just asking what's present today, you have a lot of intuitive awareness that will guide you. And even if you just stop two or three times in the day, perhaps in the morning when you wake up, midday, around a meal, in the evening, how am I feeling before you go to bed and just tuning in, I think that will start to build a strong foundation and greater curiosity for the, well, what do I do? I'm feeling this, now what do I do? And maybe you try, you know, one practice, say oil massage, and you just notice how is this shifting how I feel in the day? And you stick with one thing and build from there. But at, at its core, beyond the list of foods, beyond all the tools and things that you could be doing, the greatest gift Ayurveda has given me is the gift of awareness without judgment. So if you can just tune in and ask yourself that a few times a day, the answers will start to come from there. Yeah, it's it's similar to a lot of things that I, I share with women in, in my books and in my retreats and everything I teach. We do something called a four-part check-in mm-hmm. where we just inquire, like, how am I doing at the level of my body? Same, same as the questions that we asked at the beginning, my heart my or my emotions, my mind, my, my spiritual self. And so much comes when we just ask these open-ended questions, this inquiry, mm-hmm. just... Mm-hmm. Like if we if we ask the right questions, we get we get the right we get the answers that that we're wanting. Exactly. I'm smiling because I'm thinking of my own process with IFS, and I'll catch the pitta, the fiery side of me that just wants my counselor to tell me what to do. You know, just tell me tell me something's wrong, tell me how to fix it, give me the framework, I don't understand all of these different parts, just tell me what the cohesive roadmap is, and I'll do it, and then I'll be healed, and sometimes I get impatient in the process, and, and I'll leave a session feeling all irritated, like I'm not making any progress at all, and then the next day I'll wake up, and I'll stand back, and I have a whole new vantage point on something that I had felt completely stuck by, and by empowering me to ask myself in this inner inquiry, it, it helps me to access this whole part of myself that I don't think anybody could give to me, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And Cause it, if, <laughs> if your therapist or your counselor shares something with you, that'd be coming from a part of them. Right. And so I, the whole thing about IFS and same with Ayurveda and same with yoga, it's like, how do we access that stream of wholeness and healing and health within us mm-hmm. and just, and just, yeah, just access it more and live, live from it more. You bring up a good point about accessing that wholeness within is this beautiful mantra, the Purnam mantra that just recognized Purnam is that wholeness, that wholeness. And really at the essence of all yoga and Ayurvedic teachings is this remembrance of you are inherently whole. And if we can approach Ayurveda from that perspective of the doshas being different parts expressing different needs and our recognition of this wholeness it it changes I don't know it really brings a a sweetness about it versus the struggle that I was describing before of 
feeling like I needed to rigidly control everything in my healing journey. And Claire, I know that you also specialize in working with women like myself. And what what was it that led you or inspired you to just want to work with women? Hmm. Yeah, I think that we share from our direct experience. And being a woman in this body is something I've been intimately getting to know and forever curious about. And I think that it was a natural evolution to help women to understand how to apply this knowledge of rhythm and working with a more cyclical way of living because we really have this cyclical nature, women's bodies. And that just like Ayurveda teaches us to look at daily rhythms and seasonal rhythms and cycles of the moon and the cycles of the sun and how to capture and work with that energy. Um, I found it just really profound to watch transformations that would happen when we stop trying to live from this very linear, always progressing and pushing forward approach to life. And, and that's kind of in my sweet spot is working with women to learn how to embody this more cyclical approach to their health and routines. And how has it been for you? This is just out of my own curiosities. I have a passion for all of these things, you know, Ayurveda, yoga, meditation, IFS, and also for business. And so how do you, how do you, or do you incorporate any of these principles into how you run your business? Cause you, you seem to be a, a savvy and successful businesswoman as well. Mm-hmm. And even into just your, your days, which are like, can likely be full and stressful at times. So how does all this intersect with with your life as a business person? Yeah, that's a great question. As an entrepreneur. You know, sometimes I find a lot of grace with it and other times I really struggle. Like I've mentioned having burnout before when I first started my business and 11 years ago, um, I was coming from a job where the workplace etiquette was to answer emails within 30 minutes of whenever the email came in. So oh I kept my, I kept my phone on <laughs> dinging at two in the morning as students from, you know, international locations were emailing in with questions and waking up and trying to respond to it and completely letting expectations of my workplace dictate my life. So the first aha was, oh yeah, I don't have to do that. I can actually create healthy boundaries within my business that help me to thrive and to be in a clearer, more rested space when I do work with clients versus letting a dysregulated nervous system drive the state of my business. So I felt like the first few years were me, it was me really learning how to embody that and not be in the putting out fires phase where everything was like, oh, this is a problem. This is a problem. I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed. And, and, um, putting structures in that allow for spaciousness. Mornings are important to me. Having a sadhana spiritual practice is important to me. And so um, a little bit more difficult when you're six hours behind the East Coast, but 
it's uh having my spacious mornings is something I've sacrificed a little bit since moving back. Did you just here. need to get started earlier? Yeah, I'm like yeah. on my computer by seven. But the nice thing is it's easy to get up by five here. And right. so but I have so I have my mornings where I have a little bit more spaciousness to have a long practice. And then I also have let go of needing to have X amount of time in my yoga practice. I'm not doing primary and second series Ashtanga yoga anymore as my need to do yoga. It's my, you know, a couple of mantra practices before I head into being present and listening with clients. So a part of it has been putting structure into my business that allows more time for rest. And then also being a solo entrepreneur, it can be working in fits and spurts. So I might have a month or a few months that are overwhelmingly busy, but then I also know that there'll be months naturally where it's a little more quiet, like you know, holiday time, November to December, it tends to be a little bit more quiet, whereas January really kicks things off again. And I, I know that there is an ebb and flow and when things are quiet, instead of panicking and feeling, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough. My business isn't generating enough. I need to work harder. I need to do more. It's kind of giving myself that natural space to rest and to do a little less and to fill my cup up again without looking at every day needing to be this linear upward trajectory and increased profit and earnings and you know everything that comes from uh, moving from a corporate mindset to, to living a little bit more of this cyclical living approach to my business. Do you right. find the same in your work? I'm curious to know more. I do. I also have, I incorporate a lot of structure mm -hmm. in terms of just each day. I definitely take time each morning and have, have spacious mornings and only have certain days of the week when I meet with clients or have meetings so that I have more un unstructured time, like to create or just be, and I'm very introverted, so just to be introverted and not interacting with people. Mm -hmm. And um, so those are just some examples. And then certain times of, of the year that I take off, like I'm, I'm having a sabbatical this, this mm -hmm. August, and I always take at least two weeks off over the holidays. So just knowing that I need these, um, I need these times to just disengage from everything. Mm -hmm. And, and I relate also just feeling that trust and, and bringing my inner guidance into my work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if certain parts of me are, are stressed or worried about something, just remembering to tune into like, well, what, like, what do I know? Like, what do I know in my bones or in my gut? Like what, what feels to be true, even if it's not apparent right now, mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, just remembering as much as I can. It's, you know, sometimes easier than others to, to live more from that deeper knowing mm -hmm. than the feeling like I should do something or, or I'm scared. So I need to do something or, you know, other people are doing this. So I need to do that. And yeah, that I'm scared. So I should do something is one I've been exploring a lot more recently and just continuing to unwind from an activated nervous system approach. Yes. Everything that I do, it's like, I'm 
I know when I have the mentality of, I just need to push through it and get through it. I know that I'm activated in this sympathetic response and that I'm seeing my, my fears and insecurities about whether I'm being productive enough, whether my business is generating enough, whether I'm, you know, beating the algorithm on Instagram in the right way, in the right time, all of that creates this sense of contraction and stress. And then I start to notice my body systems react to that. And the decisions that I make from that place tend to not be the most fruitful decisions for my business. So what I've been practicing lately is what tools can I use to, to really reset after a busy and stressful period, whether it be a day, I just did a, a big move um, last month and I noticed I actually needed a few more weeks than I thought to launch a program to get my body back in a more grounded state and my nervous system in a more relaxed state. So I leaned into a lot of more restorative tools that I have and it helped to soften that edge that a pitta can really get of being overly structured and forcing your way through something just to meet the deadline because you know, I said I was going to launch on this date or I think that that edge of being compassionate and patient and gentle with yourself when you are so structured is something I have to pay a lot of attention to in how and when I launch and navigate making decisions for my business. Yeah, I relate to that. And it, it brings back in that, that curiosity and just ha having those periods of review, you know, mm. it's like, oh, how was that for me? Or did that feel good? Or did that not feel good? And bringing in, and for me, like bringing in that self-compassion of like, okay, yeah, in retrospect, maybe I would have done that differently because I had something similar recently. I, I submitted the final manuscript for my next book and- Congratulations. Thank you. And right on the other side of that, I launched a, I launched a program and I was just kind of like, how things needed to be in the lineup of things. But in retrospect, I would have done that launch a lot differently. Like if I could go back now, knowing what I know now. And it's like, I, I didn't even really entertain the option of doing something much simpler for that launch. I was just mm -hmm. thinking, you know, I'll just do it this way. But I, I didn't really feel into like, what am I going to need at that point? Like what is really realistic and and more, more loving for myself at that time. Um, but again, it's not something that I realized until I was in it or even on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this willingness to have, have these periods of reflection and review and, and then reassess and then do it differently next time and then see how that is. Yeah. And I think you're bringing up a good point because sometimes being present with what is, is also giving yourself the space for review and having the acceptance for how things unfolded. A lot of times as I've gained some mini tools for awareness, I, I will look back and feel judgmental towards myself for not, you know, I should have known better. I could have done it in this way. I could have, you know, I, I could have made it more perfect in X, Y, and Z. However, the mind unfolds in this judgment. And I think having those spaces for compassionate review is so helpful whether it be a launch or we're planning, a, um, my partner and I are planning a wedding right now. And that's 
certainly bringing up a lot of layered feelings sure. and, and deadline pressures, you know, right. and coming back to this idea, there's nothing like a deadline that will put a pitta into this kind of fight or flight mode of, I got to get it done. I got to move forward. I got to achieve. And, and so softening those edges again and coming back into the, what does the heart want has been part of my process and both personal life planning and business planning. And it just reminds me of just what we were talking about at the beginning is just Ayurveda and the art of living. It's like, how can we live more artfully? And that, that includes this kind of doing things that don't feel that great and then reassessing and trying something different the next time and seeing how that mm -hmm. is. And mm -hmm. I think IFS and Ayurveda share that, that same curiosity. One thing I hear my counselor saying often is I'm the part of me is curious to know about the part that is expressing right now. And, and that, again, that curiosity is such a loving invitation to exploring. Even when I find myself, you know, in relationship, the most complex dance of them all, just having that curious approach has created such a more inviting space. And so as someone starts to learn about Ayurveda, having that curious approach really takes away all of the perfectionism or the shame or the avoidance or the things that might come up when you're embarking on learning about yourself through a new pathway. And at the time that this, that this conversation comes out, we will be entering into the fall season in the Northern mm -hmm. Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there are some things that you recommend. I know that you mentioned earlier on like more soups and stews and oily foods, but if there's anything else that you would recommend to start to incorporate into either one's, one's dinacharya, one's mm -hmm. diet, or just uh, during the fall season. The fall is the time where the leaves start to dry up, the winds increase. There's a general sense of dryness in the air quite literally. And so bringing in, um, bringing in for the physical body, things that help to combat that dryness. In Ayurveda, we use oil in every possible orifice. <laughs> so it can be, um, it can be bringing in some warming oil, like an untoasted sesame oil is typically what is recommended for all body types in the fall. And you can just do a gentle massage where you're massaging the body in oil. It's recommended to do in the morning, but it can be an evening practice if that's the time that you have in your day. Bringing more oil into your diet. So we often cook with ghee in Ayurvedic medicine because it's great for all three constitutions, tridoshic we call it. Ghee, because of um, ghee is butter that has been clarified and cooked. So some of the heavy qualities of the milk solids and the whey and things that can cause allergens are separated out. And so it becomes this very nourishing, but light and easy to digest oil. And so we cook with ghee and increasing the ghee and what you cook with um, beyond the physical substances I think the most important thing that you can do for vata dosha is routine. And so recommitting to some kind of routine for yourself. And again, that doesn't mean every single hour is structured out to a T, but looking at what's one thing you can do in the morning at a consistent time. 
What's one thing you can do midday, usually eating <laughs> at a consistent time? What's one thing you can do in the evening at a consistent time? And the more that you can align around these routines and rhythms, I find that the more regulated the nervous system becomes, the more relaxed we can be. And the body likes routine. It's a machine. And so when we eat routinely, if you've been in a period of eating late at night because the days are long, as the days are shorter, perhaps you commit to a consistent earlier dinner time and commit to an earlier bedtime. So rest and slowing down and doing those things in your practice that help to anchor the body and the mind can really go a long way in fall, as is bringing in the opposite qualities of vata dosha, of air and space. If you think about air, it's a very windy day here. So I can look out into this sky and I can see the trees moving and I can you know, feel the movement of the wind on my skin. When you think about all that movement, you want to bring in the opposite qualities of stability, of warmth, of oiliness. And so a diet and lifestyle that brings those things in will help to pacify vata, bring it back into balance. And then expressions of excess vata, like constipation, gas and bloating, um, anxiety, difficulty staying asleep, fearfulness, all of these things start to just kind of gently fade into the background as you come back into that sense of a balanced, grounded self. And Claire, what's on the horizon for you right now? I know you mentioned you're getting married and anything else that you have yeah. that's like that you're moving yeah. towards. Well, I teach on faculty at a couple of different Ayurveda and herbalism schools. And so this fall, I will be teaching at the Savanti Institute a 40-hour foundations training, which is a great precursor for those who want to take a professional path. Um, the Savanti Institute offers an 18-month um, Ayurvedic wellness counselor training. And so the foundations course is something I'm really excited about because it kind of gives a great overview to everything that we're talking about, but in a really structured and applicable way. So whether you're curious about becoming a practitioner or just want to dip your toes into it more, that'll be coming up in the end of September through October for um, three weekends, that training will fall over. And then in January, I launch an annual program that I lead. It's a year-long living Ayurveda immersion that brings my book to life with monthly live calls and learning sessions. And we do quarterly group mentorship circles and I've recorded yoga videos and meditations and cooking instruction videos and all kinds of things that kind of bring the book to life with the goal of home practice because having community to have these conversations with and to really bring these principles to life, I think is the kind of juiciest place to be when you're just getting curious and trying these things out at home. So that starts in January. And in between that, I'm, I'm hopefully getting married and taking a little trip and restoring and relaxing at the end of the year, which I always think is helpful to kind of bookend and conclude the year before we start a new one. Nice. And what feels like your current growing edge? Hmm. Continuing to understand my nervous system 
<laughs> and the subtle ways in which I'm perceiving reality from a triggered state versus a relaxed state and noticing how that creates a cascading effect in my life in either directions that are nourishing or perhaps more activating. So that's kind of my personal edge and my professional edge is that I'm starting to work on another book and um, have slowly been entering into that process because as you know, it's, it's a big labor of love and I've wanted to start it from a, a place of a full cup instead of feeling like I just have to do this because it's it's been three years and I need to do it and yeah. really letting it kind of percolate and exploring working from that place of overflowing inspiration instead of pushing through because I have a deadline. What is this new book about? Or what's the focus? It is going to be the omnivore's guide to Ayurvedic cooking. So looking at all substances as either, you know, a medicine or poison is the concept of food and substances in Ayurveda. When I say substances, I mean, I mean food, I mean water, I mean herbs, all of these things that we have at our assistance and um, bringing in a four seasons approach to all the different qualities and categories of foods that we can bring in and, and how to work with animal products in a mindful and medicinal way. Because I think in the Ayurvedic space, there's all vegetarian cooking and classical Ayurveda actually says that any substance can be of use, including meats, and here's how you can consume them according to your constitution and time of year. So I'm translating an older text called the Bojana Kutuhalam, and it's like the 16th century greatest hits of everything that Ayurveda has had to say on all kinds of food, rice grown in dry areas versus wetlands, marshy animals versus, you know, arid animals, and water coming from springs versus from rainfall. And I just think it's so fascinating to look at what classical, you know, what the rishis, the seers, the sages who spent time observing nature and documenting how this affects us, how it still stands to the changing world and foodscape that we live in now. So it, it'll really be interesting. A, yeah, it'll be a bit of a, a commentary and exploration on our modern globalized food system and also how you can navigate that as an individual to select a diet that's appropriate for you and the time right. of life that you're in yeah I'm really excited about it it actually kind of lights me up just talking about I it I can right feel now. that so. yeah it seems and it seems like the world is ready for that or needing that I think there's a little voice in me that says, but you've been vegetarian for so long. And what will the yoga community say? And what will, will people judge you or yell at you in all caps because you have animal products? You know, it's such a, a hot topic around what's right and wrong. And I think if I were to kind of transcend that narrative, there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's about yeah listening and selecting what's appropriate for you from a place of real knowing and deep listening. I think food can be just that when done right. Well, I wish you all the best with this new book, with your, your work, your teachings this fall and, and your upcoming wedding. It's really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I hope that we can continue our dialogue beyond this podcast. Me too. And I'm going to put all your information in the show notes, but 
for anyone listening, if they want to find out more about you, they want to get your, your first book, where, mm-hmm. where would you send them? My website, Vidya Living, V-I-D-Y-A, living.com. And you'll find the book and the courses and things that I've ex- um, explored in the podcast there. It's also translated in Polish and German. So you, you can find that on Amazon and most major booksellers carry both translations and the English version as well. Yeah. And again, it's a beautiful book, both in the content and visually. I know that um, the women listening are really going to enjoy it. So thank you. Get that I, book. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. The art, it's the art of living. So the art direction and the photography was a real big part of it for me because I think we can create beauty in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Well, so good to have you. I'm really glad our paths have crossed and I look forward to just continuing to connect. Wonderful. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Herself Podcast. And thank you for taking the time to turn in and tend to yourself. This is a lifelong journey and every little step we take matters. Along the way, I'm right here walking beside you, sharing my own twists and turns and what I learned from them as we go. If you enjoyed what you heard today, I invite you to go deeper with me by enrolling in my free course, Seven Habits of Whole Women. Just head over to sarahavonstover.com, click on the link in the top right corner of the page, and the first day of this free seven-day mini course will be sent to you right away. Inside, you'll discover simple things you can do to experience your wholeness more often, starting right now. And if you haven't already, I invite you to hit subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. If you enjoyed your time here, I'd also be very grateful if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way other women who might enjoy this can better find it too. Above all, keep going. I believe in you. And until next time, I'm sending you my heartfelt support.